You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin tonight with the World Health Organization declaring coronavirus a global health emergency. And that declaration triggers recommendations for all countries aimed at preventing the spread of the disease. And it comes as the U.S. is reporting its first case of person-to-person -person transmission. Ted Chernecki has the latest, including efforts to develop a vaccine. Perhaps no image captures the worldwide concern of the coronavirus than this cruise ship docked near Rome. 6,000 passengers were held in quarantine after a Chinese passenger and her husband showed symptoms. They later tested negative and the passengers were finally allowed to disembark. With confirmed cases in 18 countries now, today the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency. We don't know what sort of damage this virus could do if it were to spread in a country with a weaker health system. We must act now to help countries prepare for that possibility. As promised, multiple airlines have stopped all flights to and from mainland China, leaving those with loved ones still over there still wondering. A Coquitlam man's wife was called by the Canadian government to get ready for a conference call in one hour. Twelve hours later, silence. We're waiting for them to call back and and we, you know, they have all our information, so we don't know what else what, that we can do to uh, to get that phone call going. But it's we're just waiting with uh, bated breath here and hoping that they will come through. The first human-to-human -human infection in North America has been reported in Chicago, though authorities there say they were expecting as much. The risk to the general public in Illinois remains low. Another casualty, the worldwide economy. Big companies like Google and Starbucks are pulling out of China, and factories are slowing or even stopping production because workers can't get there. Those are symptoms everyone will feel. They're far more connected, and, and that means that when you have something like uh, the coronavirus, the impact felt throughout the world could be far more significant. As for a solution, Canada's chief public health officer says it'll likely take at least a year or more before a vaccine is tested and ready. And with an incubation period of two weeks, you can expect this outbreak to get worse before it gets better. Ted Schrenecki, Global News. A warning tonight from Vancouver police about a sexual assault on the city's west side involving a teenage victim. Nadia Stewart is live tonight with more on where this happened and what we know about the suspect. Nadia. Yeah, Chris, we don't have too much information on the suspect right now, but that's why police are making this appeal for footage, particularly dash cam footage. Here's what we know so far. The incident involves a 17-year-old girl. It happened on Tuesday evening at around 6 o'clock on West 54th Avenue between Montgomery Street and Osler Street. Now, police say she was walking home after a sporting event at Winston Churchill Secondary School when she was grabbed from behind by a man. She she was able to find him off and run away. Now, we did see police canvassing the neighborhood for witnesses. They're hoping someone might have captured the suspect on camera without even realizing it. Teslas and, and I believe other vehicles with the same technology, the video surveillance is continually running. So they may not even know that they gathered the video footage and it may be in their, uh, their hard drives. Now, the man is described as tall and wearing dark clothing. So, as you can tell there, not too much of a description. In the meantime, though, police are giving students a warning. They're encouraging them, students at this school and in the area, not to walk home alone, Chris. 
but to walk in groups. All right, good advice for now at least. Thanks very much, Nadia Stewart reporting in Vancouver for us. Also, the RCMP have identified a suspect in a series of sexual assaults at a Coquitlam park. Officers say they've connected the suspect to seven alleged attacks in Glen Park. Police say, though, due to privacy concerns, they can't go into detail, but they are, there are extenuating circumstances involving the suspect that may have played a role in the alleged assaults. A trial within a trial at B.C. Supreme Court today. The accused, Rocky Rambo, Wei Namkam, on the stand for a third day. He has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder in the killings of a Vancouver couple. Cam's testimony today was cut short when defense and Crown argued over a video showing Cam's eight-hour interrogation. Ramina Dea has the details. And a warning, some of the details of this story may be disturbing. The accused killer appears relaxed, sipping a bottle of water and eating a sandwich as the sergeant tries to extract a confession. In the video, which was played in court only, Rocky Rambo Wayne Cam appears almost embarrassed when he tells the officer he doesn't like his name, but it's what his parents gave him. Cam says he'd rather be playing video games, and he asks if his cell will have a mattress. The accused tells the officer he was surprised when he was arrested. What's your understanding of why you're here? You're under arrest for murder? Do you know them? No. Do you recognize these folks? I have nothing to say. Have you ever been arrested before, Rocky? No. The interrogation coming 47 days after Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones were killed in their home September 26, 2017. Cam said he used a hatchet and pocket knife to stab the victims. Skyrim, just one of several violent video games which consumed Cam's life. Defense says Cam thought he was in a video game when he killed the couple, and the police interrogation is another example of him slipping into a fantasy or game. Crown says there is no evidence Cam was suffering from an altered state of mind during the police interrogation, so it's not relevant to the trial proper. Madam Justice Giroux will rule on whether to allow it into evidence when she's seen all eight hours. Romina Dea, Global News. Montreal police are seeking potential victims in B.C. of an alleged pimp. 24-year-old Sergei Klonovsky is accused of sexually exploiting a 20-year-old woman. He's also facing a number of other charges, including human trafficking, sexual assault, threats, and use of a weapon. Anyone who may have been a victim or knows a potential victim of Klonovsky is asked to contact their local police or call 911. The recruitment of international students targeted by criminals and lured into the Lower Mainland gang conflict is back on the radar tonight. An anti-gang advocacy group and police are renewing warnings about the dangers of gang life. And as Sarah McDonald reports, the brazen nature of recruitment. A pressing issue that's long been of concern to law enforcement is now back on the radar of the public. International students like some of the people captured in this footage being targeted by members of the Lower Mainland's gang conflict. And not just in Surrey, where this video was recorded, but further east. And they're trying to recruit more international students. Members of Wake Up Surrey, a group of concerned citizens working to combat gang violence, are now warning international students in the Fraser Valley that they are being targeted by criminals too. They are trying very hard 
uh, to recruit even elementary school kids these days. Abbotsford police confirming the recruitment of international students is an ongoing concern. They can be very brazen, and that includes approaching in parking lots, intersections, schools. That's also on the radar of the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit. And this is why we partner extensively with uh, our communities, our law, law enforcement partners, and uh, quite frankly, we have done a, a lot of work in our post-secondary uh, education facilities. One of the biggest challenges for officers tasked with cracking down on gang crime, getting the message out, and not just to young people, but to their parents too. As much as we emphasize parents getting involved, we also want to make sure that our community as a whole is involved with stopping the violence. <laughs> International students risk being deported if they're found to be partaking in criminal actions like this, but often face no consequences back in their home countries. The international students in British Columbia are ripe for plucking because what happens in Canada as a crime stays in Canada. Few ramifications legally and the lure of quick money may be part of the reason they're recruited. Police and advocacy groups once again warning that gang life can be deadly. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Victoria and Saanich are exploring the possibility of a merger. The groundwork has now been laid for a citizens' assembly to look at the pros and cons of amalgamation. Global's Brad McLeod explains how the idea is playing out on the street. Two of the most populous parts of the capital region want to see if they should become one. Yeah, it's worth looking into, yeah, for sure. I think most people see it all as the same city already. So, Saanich's sprawling urban and rural landscape with a population of 120,000 and Victoria with a population of 92,000 could come together. The two have come to terms on how they will choose the Citizens' Assembly to study amalgamation, including on how they will pick the 75-person panel from the public. So the total population of Victoria and uh, Saanich goes into a pool and the consultant will then do a random draw. Age and gender will be represented, as well as the inclusion of Indigenous people. The mandate of the Citizens' Assembly is to look at the potential, to look at the pros, the cons. Victoria and Saanich have pledged $250,000 each and will ask the province to cover the $750,000 price tag. It's a great step forward. Colin Nielsen is with Amalgamation Yes, a group yes. that thinks the 13 municipalities in the capital region should have melded together long ago, saying they already have the CRD, an organization the municipalities pay to supply services across borders. We have a variety of opinions. One, one or two believe that we should have all 13 into one and maybe even dissolve the CRD and have one regional government. Saanich Council did invite other municipalities to take part. All the other cities said they're not interested. So now our dance partner in this is uh, Victoria, and let's see where the music takes us. The province says the pair have yet to submit a joint proposal to fund the assembly. If it gets funded, a report isn't expected for at least a year. The outcome of the citizens' assembly would be non-binding. It might be a baby step, but it's one step to uh, maybe put the question to rest one way or the other, at least for Saanich and Victoria. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Right now, though, that geographic rarity, a tiny piece of the United States isolated from the rest of the country, but attached to Canada. It sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? But Point Roberts is a slice of tranquility both Canadians and Americans call home. Catherine Urquhart has more on the challenges the community faces and the proposal for a discussion that could one day see Canada purchase the point. 
just 1,200 hectares, Point Roberts, Washington, is a small town, and it's detached from the rest of the United States, separated by a border and accessible by driving through Canada. But in the future, could Point Roberts become part of Canada? I'm proposing a vote in the November 2020 election on a question. Do you, the voters of Point Roberts, do the voters of Whatcom County wish to enter into consultations with the government of Canada and the United States to discuss the purchase of Point Roberts by Canada? Dual citizen John Lesso has just told Whatcom County Council about his initiative. He thinks it's time the border is gone, pointing to the dozens of businesses that have closed in recent years. Long gone are the days when thousands of Canadians cross the border on Sundays to drink beer at the breakers. Now, most visitors come to get cheap gas and pick up parcels. You'd have access to medical care for the thousand or so people in Point Roberts. You would have schools. You would no longer have to bust your school children from Point Roberts across the Point Roberts border through the international border and back. That's, that's crazy. But... How do residents of Point Roberts feel about the idea of joining Canada? I wish Canada would take it over. Our property values would go through the roof like the rest of Vancouver. would love to be part of Canada. It helped my property values, but I kind of like it the way it is. Lesso says he hopes to gain support in the coming months when he launches a petition. For now, though, this tiny peninsula remains bordered part of the United States. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Point Roberts, Washington. Well, you may have heard an atmospheric river is heading our way. And if you think that sounds like a lot of rain, you're right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on what it means. Christy? Well, Chris, we are going to get soaked over the next 48 hours with potentially more than 100 millimeters of rain in some areas. An atmospheric river is sort of like a river in the sky. It carries a very significant amount of subtropical moisture and it dumps it over a very localized region. Now, this isn't the first time we've experienced this. We tend to see atmospheric rivers a couple of times a year, but we've had so much rain throughout this month that there is concern for localized flooding and rising river levels in some areas. Now, that concern has actually been validated by a team of researchers out of the University of California using a specialized aircraft, once typically used in hurricane reconnaissance missions. They've actually categorized this atmospheric river as a level three or four for parts of the south coast. What does that mean? Well, uh, while the rain will be beneficial for reservoirs, etc., it will also have hazardous impacts like we mentioned before. So when I come back, I'll show you which parts of the, house, the south coast we are most concerned about. All right, we'll check in a little later. Thanks, Christy. Well, tonight, more dramatic examples of how far some criminals will go to steal anything of value, and it's all caught on camera. A Buddhist temple near Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park is sharing video it says shows how the area has deteriorated since a tent city went up right across the street. It's right here. It was a brass Buddha placed behind a gate of the Vancouver Buddhist temple in hopes the religious symbol would deter people from littering and relieving themselves on the steps of the house of worship, which is just across from Oppenheimer Park. Really, it's, it's a defilement of, of, of the temple. But Buddha failed to stop the disorder and instead was stolen by a thief using a makeshift fishing rod 
fashioned from a tent pole. Was able to lasso the, lasso the Buddha and pull it down. The next morning, the Buddha bandit returned, minus a shirt and carrying a two-by-four to finish the job. In order to do that, he had to break the, the bar, which was welded to the, the bottom here. The footage is from May, and since then, things have only gotten worse. Watch this video from the Temple Alley in August. A man steals a woman's bag from the back seat of her van as she sits in the front. Absolutely nowhere is sacred in Vancouver. Thursday, the temple's garage was being rebuilt, two weeks after it was hot-wired open, allowing a parade of thieves to come through and loot tents, tools, and more than 1,500 frozen pastries. Meant for a fundraiser, 80% of the stolen stuff was later found at Oppenheimer Park says the temple's president. If you go outside and you take a look around, there is a problem. A problem which reaches well beyond a housing crisis. Mental illness, I believe, is the cause. The encampment of the park is a result of the mental illness. After 115 years in Vancouver, Canada's oldest Buddhist temple feels under siege by a tent city. Inside is a place of peace and reflection, but just steps away outside, it seems anarchy rules. I don't know who's really running Vancouver. Is it the homeless people or is it the parks board or the city? Like, if nobody's, why no is, is running it, they should at least get together and see, like, who's in control and at least have some sort of solution to the problem here. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, what began as an act of kindness by a widowed Kelowna senior has turned into a nightmare. She allowed a homeless person to camp on her property temporarily, but as Global's Travis Lowe reports, it's gone so far sideways, she's had to call the police. Geraldine Mayu is reluctant to even go into her own backyard. I'm very cautious. She's also reluctant to admit it, but she's scared. Well, yes, I have to have my daughter be here. Scared because this homeless shelter has been set up in Mayu's backyard since December's cold spell. They've got stuff going. They've got electricity running without her permission. They're doing all sorts of things. It all started innocently enough, Rolanda says, when her mother allowed a homeless person who was camped in the alley next to the house to sleep in the front yard overnight. But it quickly escalated. And then he moved in on the back of her property without telling her, brought his friends, and they pitched a tent. Both Geraldine and Rolanda say the trio of squatters have been asked to leave several times, but to no avail. They were taking advantage, and, and I mean, it was getting to the point where they were trying to break into the house and stuff. We can't have that. Still, Geraldine remained reluctant to call the RCMP for help. I don't know what to do, because <laughs> I feel so sorry for them. But eventually, she felt she had no choice. I guess we have to to have them removed. And on Thursday, RCMP arrived to investigate. No one was inside the makeshift lean-to at the time, but they did find a note that said... They are going to move today. They've just gone to the homeless shelter. We've asked the homeowner here to call us and as soon as they get back here so we can have a direct... Um, dialogue with them and let them know yes they have to leave. In the end the RCMP dismantled the shelter but left all of the belongings. So Geraldine still has a homeless camp in her backyard. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. What looks like a cauldron of liquid gold is actually the most detailed look ever at the surface of the sun.
The high-resolution pictures were taken by the world's largest solar telescope on top of a volcano in Maui. They show boiling gas that appears to be made up of cell-like structures, each one of them about the size of Texas. The close-up detail has some on social media likening the sun's texture to cheese curds or even popcorn. We are hearing for the first time from NBA star Kobe Bryant's wife after the shattering loss of her husband and daughter in Sunday's tragic helicopter crash. Vanessa Bryant's heartbreaking Instagram post saying, there aren't enough words to describe our pain right now. I take comfort in knowing that Kobe and Gigi both knew that they were so deeply loved. They were our beautiful blessings taken from us too soon. As for the investigation, officials say the pilot was just a few minutes from his destination when the chopper slammed into the side of a mountain, killing all nine people on board. Wreckage from the crash has been taken to Phoenix for analysis. The helicopter company says it has halted all services for now. A woman from Surrey has pleaded guilty in the U.S. college admissions scandal as part of a plea deal that could keep her from serving any more jail time. Xiaoning Sui has agreed to plead guilty to bribery for paying a soccer coach $100,000 to get her son into UCLA. Sui has been in prison in Spain since her arrest in September. Both prosecutors and defense have agreed to a sentence of time served along with a fine and restitution. A leaked memo appears to confirm a controversial screening policy at the U.S. border weeks after U.S. Customs vehemently deny that any such policy existed. The memo, which was issued after the killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, directs American customs officers to stop and conduct vetting on every traveler with links to Iran. Jill Bennett reports. Iranians, Lebanese, other nationalities that have traveled to Iran or Lebanon the memo, with no date or signature, was left anonymously on Len Saunders' law office desk in Blaine on Wednesday. He had someone confirm it's real, and from the Customs and Border Protection Office in Seattle. I was shocked. It's the smoking gun. It's exactly what... I expected. Earlier this month, as many as 100 travelers, some born in Iran, others with links to that country, were stopped for hours and questioned at the Peace Arch crossing. Many of those stopped are American and Canadian citizens. Did I work with the government? Did I do terrorist things? No. Why, why us? Why innocence? The memo references a high alert and updated procedures following the death of Major Qasem Soleimani. It directs frontline border officers to vet anyone born between 1961 and 2001 from Iran or Lebanon, or who might have traveled there. It includes questions about former military involvement and religion. We're certainly being targeted as a, as a group, as a, as a nation. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it feels like profiling. It is profiling. Iranian Canadians who often cross the border say this kind of blanket policy is clear discrimination. Many people in the U.S. agree. I understand there's a high posture alert at the border. There's this fear of Iran retaliating because of the killing of Qasem Soleimani and all of that. But then at the same time, there's this balance with the civil rights of people who are living in this country or visiting it or have family here. CBP isn't commenting on what it calls leaked documents, but confirms the matter is under investigation, saying there was never a directive to deny entry to anyone. I blame it on the very head of the Seattle field office, right? There has to be accountability. It seems like the local officers do not want to be doing this. They're being put in a very difficult position. Jill Bennett, Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, a new study suggests eating more fruits and vegetables and drinking tea could help fend off dementia. Researchers from Rush University in Chicago tracked more than 900 elderly adults for six years. They found seniors who consumed the most flavanol antioxidants found in fruit, vegetables and tea were 48% less likely to develop dementia. The study doesn't prove that flavanols directly cause a reduction in dementia risk, but there is an association worthy of more investigation. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A BC Metis artist is in the process of recreating part of Canada's history by building a replica of the river boats that once carried goods between trading posts. Ted Field has the story of why he's doing it and how the public will be able to climb aboard when it's done. Pat Callahue's boat building project is as far away from modern day mass assembly as you can get. The Métis artist has made paddles and canoes in the past, but this one is a 43-foot-long York boat. My family were Métis and we were voyagers. We worked for the Hudson Bay Company and the Northwest Company. And uh, my great-great-grandfather paddled one of these for 30 years from Fort Edmonton to Fort Garry. And I thought, like, this is an awesome way to uh, commemorate them, remember them. And He's building it at Fort Langley. The York boats, or bateaux, were essential transportation in the 1800s, used to move furs and supplies on at times dangerous rivers in the days long before personal flotation devices. Just finding plans for the boat were a challenge, and when discovered, the decades-old blueprints were more like suggestions. I have some of the some of the numbers on there, but a whole bunch of the numbers aren't on there, so we had to just we had to pull them out of the dead space, so reverse engineer them. This was not a run down to the Home Depot for all the supplies kind of project. Callahoo is using Fort Langley blacksmith-made nails and unique tools. Even some wood came from a torn-down Vancouver building. Métis people were integral to life in the fur trade, so this project gave us a chance to let that voice be heard again. For Callahoo, this is not just a boat, it's a symbol. You know, you kind of lose sleep. Just, you know, wondering, oh, if it doesn't go together, right, whatever, right? So I think, uh, but definitely hard, really, really hard, but it's working. You got to have faith in yourself, right? Ted Field, Global News. That, uh, that hard work is not going to go unappreciated. No, it looks pretty good so far. Sure does. All right, so does Baby Shark have some new competition? Dinosaurs in love. The adorable and hilariously bittersweet viral hit sung by a four-year-old right after the forecast with Christy. <laughs> so it cute. now needs a music video. <laughs> All right, uh, the atmospheric river. Oh, that's right. Nice to see <laughs> sort of a sunset or sunrise. This, yeah, sunrises, but they're all on fire, the ones that I've get, uh, received today. So it's because we're talking about atmospheric river. We have snow in the forecast, lots to talk about. But yes, red skies in the morning. Sailors take warning. Look at this. Right across the province, we saw a fiery morning sunrise. Thank you for your photos, by the way. All right, so the areas we're concerned about across the south coast for significant rain from now right through until Saturday around noon is the Howe Sound region and the eastern sections of Sunshine Coast. So Gibson,
Mountains and then extending through the lower mainland. So both the Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. I'm going to zone in on the or focus in on the Metro Vancouver region. It's basically from Burnaby, Surrey and then northeast. Those are the key areas that will really get significantly impacted. So localized flooding, pooling water on the roads as well as rising river levels. So be very careful if you're near rivers and streams right through until Sunday. That will be a concern and it's because of this atmospheric river. So significant rain but also very mild flow. So we're going to see melt in the mountains and all of that comes down through the rivers and streams. By the way, if you're wondering, uh, why aren't we calling it a Pineapple Express? It is the same thing as a Pineapple Express, but we've termed it Atmospheric River, and that's what we'll be using from now on in, because Pineapple Express is really what we would only be using here on the West Coast, bringing that Honolulu or Pineapple Express up towards our region, whereas Atmospheric River is more of a global term now, and that's what meteorologists are using. So just a little bit of information for you. All right, timeline. So right through tonight, we may see a brief lull as it shifts to the north a little bit, about mid midday tomorrow, but then it'll be right back into our region. So as I mentioned, you can expect it through Saturday morning, probably not easing off until the afternoon hours. Across the north, we'll also see rainfall. Areas in the south, Columbia, Kootenai region, snow for you overnight. It will change over to rain during the day. Very mild flow across all regions and south coast area, highs of 11 degrees with that rainfall. The key here is Saturday night temperatures drop, so the potential for some wet flurries on Sunday, nothing significant. Cold Monday, and then more snow potentially Tuesday. All right, thanks, Christy. Nice to see a little bit of sunshine mm-hmm. along the way. Okay, British singer-songwriter Tom Rosenthal has a pretty big viral hit on his hands thanks to his four-year-old daughter, Fenn. Well, she wanted to record a song, and so she wrote her own lyrics with some help from Dad. The song was then posted on Twitter and is now closing in on 5 million views. Dinosaurs in love That's very healthy. Now, it's not all fun and games. The song actually starts with dinosaurs eating people and ends with the Big Bang wiping them out. A Big Bang came and they died. But they didn't say goodbye. But they didn't say goodbye. They didn't say goodbye. They didn't. Well, that was beautiful. as far as we know, they didn't. Well, they were dead, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. They didn't even say goodbye to each other. So you just take a sort of, oh, bang. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> all right, Squire, what are you working on? At least on? they had a party first. <laughs> that is true. And they, and they were eating healthy, which is the sad part. They had just gotten to the healthy part of their eating, and then, then you know, a uh, big bang. Big bang happens, asteroid. Skipper of the sports department here, Squire Barnes. I'm still thinking about that song. It was it was fun. It was sad, and also it was scientifically correct. True. <laughs> everything going for it. Okay, to the Vancouver Canucks this season. The kind of season they're getting from Jacob Markstrom is kind of like hosting a fancy dinner. The food tastes great. They're serving expensive wines. They're making desserts at the table. You're basking in the afterglow of it all, and then they bring you the bill. That's what it could be like with Markstrom. Every good game he has means his price on a new contract goes up, and possibly the length as well. This will be a big decision for the Canucks coming up, his contract, because next year, at the end of next year, both Pedersen and Hughes 
are going to need new deals and they're going to want big raises and they'll get them. The uh, Canucks are not going to be able to keep everyone underneath the salary cap. But until the contract situation is dealt with, Markstrom is putting together memorable moments like the one last night against San Jose. we got to see this again. This save off Kevin LeBanc. Oh, that's, that's kicking it old school. Literally. As John Garrett pointed out, that looked like Gump Worsley back in the day. Incredible. Now this was not so good. Tyler Mott in the same game, upper body injury when he's run into the boards by Eric Carlson. This was a little cheap by Carlson. And you could see Eric Carlson. Could be shoulder, could be a bit of a concussion, it's hard to tell. Anyway, he's been sent home. So Tyler Mott out of the game and out of the lineup. And because he's out of the lineup, the Canucks actually called up two players from Utica, Zach McEwen and Justin Bailey, who's having a very good season in Utica. 40 points in 45 games. He does have some NHL experience with Buffalo back in the day. He's a big guy, 6'4", 215 pounds. Also in last night's game, the Sharks lost Thomas Hurdle for the year with a knee injury. Well, when she scored her very first goal for Canada, she was Christine 16. Yesterday, she became Christine 185, setting a new record for most international goals in soccer. No woman or man has scored more goals for their country than Christine Sinclair. She herself is always shy to talk about her accomplishments. She is very Canadian that way. So perhaps it's better to let those who know her well, those who have played with her, talk about her rare skill and her even rarer career. Sinclair wide open. Is this it? It is! No soccer player ever, man or woman, has scored more goals for their country than Burnaby's Christine Sinclair. For two decades, Sinclair has scored them every which way, taking Canadian soccer to new heights. And now she stands alone at the top of the heap with 185 career goals. When I first started with the national team, I could have never imagined standing here with the number of goals I've scored, but... Uh, just wouldn't have been possible without my teammates. I mean, they've been beside me the entire way. All the coaches I've had, all the people back home that have supported me, um, just a massive thank you. Women's soccer is thankful that they've had Christine Sinclair as their role model for 20 years. Teammates who played with her a dozen years ago still marvel at the skill set and soccer IQ that never seems to dip in quality. Even when uh, other teams are keying in on her, she still finds the space. She's just quiet out there. Um, she's not a big rah-rah player, but she knows how to move, when to move. The wittiest player, she just knew where the ball was going to be before it even got there, so she can reserve some of that energy. It's just the smartness of her play that has allowed her, you know, the rest of us maybe just weren't as smart. <laughs> Sinclair can't find a position to get a shot. Oh, but she does! Sinclair will turn 37 this summer and is still the key player in Canada's attack. She's playing alongside teenagers who weren't even born when she debuted with the national team back in 2000. She hasn't decided on how much longer she'll do this, but those who know her feel there's still a lot left in the tank. I think we all know our time and when we've expired. <laughs> and I don't think Christine Sinclair has an expiration date. Sinclair may dazzle on the pitch, but she's as low-key a superstar as there is. She reluctantly takes the spotlight, even when she becomes the greatest soccer goal scorer of all time. Probably the most humble leader I've, I've had the opportunity to, to work with, and she's really 
grown into that role, sort of as a young teenager, she led on the field, but now she leads in the locker room in a very quiet and humble way, but when needed, fiery. She is an incredible human being, and I think that anyone who's ever had the, uh, you know, the pleasure of meeting Christine Sinclair has followed her and is celebrating alongside her right now. The Raptors may not have Kawhi Leonard anymore, but they are still one of the best in the league. Taking on Cleveland tonight, Serge Ibaka had 26 points. There is three of the 26. And then Kyle Lowry had 23. Cleveland did get close, and then Norm Powell decided to seal the deal with the steal and the dunk. And uh, Toronto has now won nine in a row. I don't think they won nine in a row last year. I think they won eight in a row, but... This is nine straight. There you go. News is no report for this evening. Not a lot of new snow across the South Coast Mountains, but the bases are significant. Anywhere from 245 across Whistler Blackcomb to 285 in Cypress. As for Manning Park, they picked up four centimeters of fresh snow. Revelstoke one, Fernie four, Kicking Horse nine. Big White one centimeter. Nothing new for Silver Star, but 218 as their base. One centimeter for Sun Peaks, Apex two. Mount Washington and Powder King are the winners today with 20 centimeters of of fresh snow, 15 for Red Mountain and Whitewater at 5. Oh. <laughs> Those numbers were off. Uh-oh. We'll get them fixed. Okay, pretend you didn't see that. Yeah. All right. Among all of the big money Super Bowl ads this coming Sunday, one won't be trying to sell you anything. Instead, it's a $6 million thank you from a corporate CEO to the people who are working to save the life of his best friend. Chances are, if you've tuned into the Super Bowl for the last couple of years, you've already met Scout. He's usually promoting WeatherTech products, but this year's commercial has a very different message. And I'm a lucky dog. Scout has cancer, and last summer collapsed. His owner, WeatherTech founder David McNeil, rushed home from overseas. And they're saying, you got to put the dog down, we've got to put him down. I'm like, wait, let me get home. Refusing to give up, he brought Scout to the University of Wisconsin's School of Veterinary Medicine Oncology Unit. Most cancers that dogs and cats get are the exact same cancers that we see in humans. Anything we learn about tumors in our dogs and cats can hopefully go on to help human patients as well. Just this morning, Scout received his latest radiation treatment. McNeil was so encouraged by Scout's care, he decided to make an unusual Super Bowl commercial. Pets make a difference in your life. You can make a difference in theirs. Donate now. There's so many companies selling this snack or this beer. What can I do to help the university and the school? He's hoping it raises awareness and a lot of money. We really do have a sacred relationship with our pets. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's an amazing guy. This year's Super Bowl already has an MVP, even before the kickoff. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Madison, Wisconsin. It's that I'm a camp. MVP, most valuable pup. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Be a good game. We hope for a good game on Sunday. Before we get there, though, there's some rain in our future. Yeah, so starting tonight, right through Saturday morning, we'll see anywhere from 50 to 100 plus millimeters for Metro Vancouver. There may be a lull in the action tomorrow, but don't put away your umbrella because you'll need it after that. Um, the key is after Saturday's rain, we'll see a cooling trend. So Sunday, maybe some wet flurries. Not much to worry about Sunday. More so what you should be concerned about is Tuesday. So tune back in on Monday and we'll let you know. For sure. Thanks, All right. Christy. Thank you for watching. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.